We're now going to be reading our Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. The first, the Old Testament, being from Psalm 133. You can find that on page 519 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. And Psalm 133 was a song that Israel sang as they approached the temple together, as they ascended the mountain to worship with God. And this was written by David. It reads, A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And we're going to be reading about unity in Colossians 4, 10 through 18, which you can find on 985. And the unity that is described in Psalms 133 is often lacking. We often damage the unity of the brothers and sisters by our lack of love, and others damage us by their own lack of love. We find a lot of discord in the church, and we look at Psalm 133 and think, how do we get there? Well, Paul is going to address that today in Colossians 4, 10 through 18, and he's going to draw in this farewell greeting from all the theology that he has talked about, about being uh, crucified with Christ, putting to death the works of the flesh, and putting on the new Christ, the, the new self that is found in Christ. That is how you get unity. And it's easy to go through these farewells that Paul gives and just see a bunch of names and move on. But there's a lot here. So we're going to slow down and hear what God's Word has to say. So please read with me Colossians 4, 10 through 18. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So as we come into this passage, we're going to be looking at this passage using a guiding question. 
a guiding question of how do Paul's greetings reflect his love for Christ's church? And by asking this question, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see that Paul's greetings reflect a connected love to Christ's members. We're going to see that his greetings reflect a prayerful love for Christ's members. And then finally, we're going to see that it reflects an outspoken love for Christ's members. So before we move into that, would you pray with me? O Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, hear our prayers this morning. Would you be with us as we hear your word? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, and may the Spirit open the hearts of your people to hear Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, Script writers often draw upon the same tropes when they're writing a movie because tropes work. The same themes work because we've all experienced. And in romantic comedies, you see writers often display the difference between a mature love and an immature love. And the protagonists usually portray some variation of immature love. They're hurting each other. They can't understand each other. Then the script writers will introduce an older, mature, married couple who've been married 50 years, say. And the protagonist will then listen to the older married couple talk about how they love one another. And then the protagonist will be like, I can't believe it. I've been a fool to my loved one. And then they go off and, you know, the movie ends happily ever after. And this works well in romantic comedies because we ourselves fail to show love to others. It's so easy to fail to show love to others in the church. But what about Paul in his letter to the Colossians? How do his farewells show love to the church? Well, in his final greetings, Paul lists a lot of people names, a lot of people's names. It's easy to just scan through them real quick and move on. But these names appear throughout Paul's ministry and in his letters, and when you piece them together, you get a very interesting picture of life in the New Testament church. So let's review who is who in this letter. It's like deciphering a crime. So look with me at verse 10 and the first part of verse 11. Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Well, we know from the book of Acts that Aristarchus is a close traveling companion of Paul. He was a Macedonian Jew who uh, was from the city of Thessalonica, and he shows up in Acts 19, 20, and 27 as Paul's traveling companion. And given that Paul calls Aristarchus his fellow prisoner in this letter, it's likely that Aristarchus was with Paul during his two years of house arrest in Acts 28. So this is the Aristarchus, Paul's companion, who is passing along his greetings to the Colossian church. But Paul also gives the greetings of Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, he gets a bad rap for having a violent disagreement with Paul in Acts 15 uh, that caused them to go their separate ways. But as you can see here, there was at some point a reconciliation between John Mark 
and Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul even describes John Mark as very useful to me in ministry. And he obviously thinks that John Mark will be useful to uh, the ministry in the, Col- in the Colossian church, for he tells them to follow the instructions that they have received concerning his arrival. Now, it may seem obvious to us that the Colossians ought to welcome John Mark, but we know from 3 John 9-10 through that other churches were not so welcoming when they received missionaries. John even had to berate one particular church for uh, refusing to welcome the missionaries who visited them and for putting out others in the church who welcomed these missionaries. So Paul says, make sure to welcome John Mark. Now look, at, look with me at the first part of verse 11. Paul writes, In Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Paul also conveys the greeting of this guy named Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a common name in, uh, in Hebrew among the Jewish people, and so they call him Justice to distinguish him from Jesus Christ. And Paul describes this man, who we don't really know anything else about, but he describes these three men, Aristarchus, John Mark, and Justice, as the only men of the circumcision. He's not being derogatory here like he is in Galatians when he's talking about those men who say that you must be circumcised to be justified before God. He's not saying that. He's just saying that these are the only Jews who are partnering with him in gospel ministry. Now, having passed on the greetings of his three Jewish co-laborers, Paul then passes along the greetings of his Gentile workers. Look with me in verse 12. Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. I know Pastor Mike has already talked to you about Epaphras, that he was a pastor who was from the city of Colossae, one of the Colossians themselves, and now is with Paul on his missionary journeys. So I won't belabor that point. Uh, But look also at verse 14. Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. I love that he calls him a beloved physician. Just that that sense of warmth warmth and companionship. And Demas also greets you. In Philemon 24, Paul describes both of these two men as fellow laborers. But only Luke continues in the faith and continues to be a co-laborer with Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.10-11, we learn that Demas abandons Paul because he is in love with this present world. It's kind of scary to see the contrast because here he's a... He's a Christian greeting the other Christians, but not so later on. Now, Luke alone will remain faithful according to 2 Timothy 4.11. And according to the early church fathers, this Luke is the same Luke who authored the third gospel in Acts. And so these six individuals are passing along their greetings to the Colossian church. Three Jews, three Gentiles, who both show up throughout Paul's ministry. And they come from very different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds. Some are Jews from Palestine. Some are Jews who live throughout the Roman Empire. Others come from pagan Greek backgrounds. But these six individuals 
are united by Christ, in whom there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, but Christ in all. These men are united because of what Christ has done to them, and because of that, they are also united with this Colossian church that is far away across the ocean. And they feel so close to this church that they want to make sure that Paul, in Holy Scripture, passes on his greetings to the Colossians. But the greetings don't stop there. Look at verse 15 with me. Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, according to commentators, Laodicea was a church that shared the same river valley as the Colossian church. They were separated by about roughly 10 miles. You could cover that distance between the two churches or the two cities at a gentle walking pace, and it'd take about three and a half hours. Not too far, but not too close either. If you wanted to go visit Laodicea and then return, you had to take a full day off work, You had to walk along dusty Roman roads that were filled with bandits. It wasn't necessarily safe in order to go to this other city. But Paul says that they are to exchange letters. Both these churches have received letters from Paul. And Paul wants to make sure that someone from the Colossian church goes and gives their greetings to the church in Laodicea. they got to walk there. And they got to exchange the letters. The ministry of God's word unites these two churches across geographical distance. And this common need to hear God's word read aloud unites them. Isn't this amazing? When you slow down and look at these farewells, you see the life of the church in action. People saved by Christ, worshiping the Lord together, across cultural distance, and across physical distance. It's beautiful to see what the Lord has done in the church. So how do Paul's greetings reflect a love for Christ's church? Well, it reflects a connected love for Christ's members. It reflects a connected love for Christ's members. If you know anything about me, you know that I love fantasy literature, especially the works of a guy named Brandon Sanderson. If you've never heard him, I'm not surprised, but I love Brandon Sanderson, and I tell everybody about him when I can. Well, this summer, I was regularly working at a coffee shop while I was studying for ordination, and I met a guy there, and we found that we had a common love for this author, Brandon Sanderson. So we would talk and discuss our favorite plot points and characters and books. It was great. But as I got to know him, I found out that we had very little in common. Almost nothing in common except this point of interest. And yet, this little book was able to unite us. This author was able to unite us. In Colossians 4, we see Paul and his co-laborers connected together through the righteous blood of Jesus, united together by the work of the Holy Spirit, so that they're bound together across cultures, across space, and want to say hello to one another, no matter what. They're connected. Now, Heritage, you too have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. 
you too are connected across different upbringings, different parts in the city. You are connected together by what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, by what God has done for you. You're connected with Christ's members already. You're connected with each other. So pursue that connection. Pursue that connection that you already have with one another. Love that connection. Love Christ's church by saying hello to one another. And this, this is actually really hard for me. I am an introvert. I like to come in. I don't want people to talk to me. I just want to come in, worship, and then get on out. But I need to say hello. You need to say hello to each other and pursue the connection that you have together in the Holy Spirit. So introverts, say hello. Extroverts, also say hello. It's very tempting to also just talk to your good friends that you see. I know it's hard. It's been a long week. You want to connect with the people you know and love. But the introverts need you. The introverts need you to say hello to them because you are connected together. So say hello. Even if it seems like you have nothing in common with one another, you have everything in common. You have Jesus. So if you can't think about anything to talk about, talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life. Pursue that connection with one another, because who knows what the Spirit might do through that relationship that you forge together. Now, you may not realize this, but Christ's love also places you in a global church, a global church. You're Presbyterian. You belong to a presbytery, a presbytery that meets on Tuesday to discuss the matters of the church. You're connected in the Hills and Plains Presbytery to churches both in this state, but also across the country and across the globe. How do you pursue that connection when you're separated by physical space? Well, let's continue asking, how do Paul's greetings reflect Christ or reflect love for Christ's church? Look with me at verses 12 through 13. Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Now, as Pastor Mike and I mentioned early, earlier, this Epaphras is a Colossians, a Colossian Christian minister who is far away from his people. But despite this distance, Paul says that Epaphras is laboring in prayer for the Colossians. He is laboring in prayer for them, and not only for them, but for other churches in the surrounding region. Now pay attention to two parts of this verse. First, the Greek word for struggle has the sense of an athletic contest or of warfare athletic contest, or warfare. Paul himself understands prayer as a form of warfare against the forces of darkness, as described in Ephesians 6 and Romans 15. Paul likewise, in Colossians 2, 1 through 5, describes his own prayer life 
as a struggle for the Colossians, for a church he's never even met. And he struggles in prayer so that the Colossians might reach spiritual maturity and confidence in Christ. Epaphras is clearly following Paul's example here. He's seeing what the elder minister has already done and mimicking Paul's example. And notice also that prayers is plural. This is not a one-off prayer. This is over and over repeated prayer for the Colossian church and others. Working hard over and over in prayer for God's people. And Paul is bearing witness that, yes, Epaphras is far away from you. You can't see what he's doing, but he is laboring diligently in the warfare of prayer for you, Colossian Christians. And for what purpose does Epaphras engage in this great labor of prayer? Well, the answer is in verse 12, that the Colossians may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Fully matured and fully assured. That is what Epaphras prays for. He wants them to know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that they stand justified in his grace. He wants them to be assured of that, but he also wants them to be mature, to grow in sanctification and produce the fruit of the spirits by relying on Christ. He wants them to know that, and that's what all the Colossians is about, getting on in the gospel. It is about growth in grace because of what Christ has already done for his people. So Epaphras is an example of maturity himself. He is greatly laboring for God's people in prayer, but not out of his own strength, but out of the strength that Christ gives him in the Spirit. To paraphrase 1 John 4.19, Epaphras loves because God first loved him. And this love overflows in the form of prayer for the Colossian church. So how do Paul's final greetings reflect a love for Christ's church? Well, it reflects a prayerful love. It reflects a prayerful love for Christ's church. Now, if you know me, you know that I do not like to text. My cousin jokes that I treat my texts like carrier pigeons. When they come in, they need to rest, be watered and fed for a couple days before being released. But with my wife, when we were engaged long distance, I labored diligently over those texts. I knew that if I didn't text her, that she would feel hurt, that our relationship would be damaged. So I made sure to text her. In Colossians 4, Paul's greeting testifies to Epaphras' great labor of prayer on behalf of his Colossian church. Even though Epaphras is far away from them, his love overflows in prayer for his people. Brothers and sisters, Christ has fully qualified you in righteousness, and in so doing, he has placed you into a family that you don't deserve. You have a family you don't deserve, but Christ gives it to you because he brought you all here by his blood. 
So when you look at your own prayer life on behalf of this congregation, how would you describe it? How would you describe your prayer life for this congregation? Would you describe it as a great labor? Or if it is, if you would describe it as a great labor, would you describe it as great labor on behalf of the people's spiritual maturity? It's really good to pray for physical ailments and job searches. God cares about that. He wants us to be praying for those things. But we will all die at some point. Something is going to put us in the grave at some point until Christ returns. So plead with God on behalf of this congregation. Plead with God on behalf of Christ's people that everyone here would be fully matured in the faith and fully assured of God's will. Pray that when your brothers and sisters face hardships in life, that God would use it to burn away the dross of sin in their life, that they would grow to look more like Christ because of these things. Pray, labor diligently in prayer for your brothers and sisters. And you have a great high priest who is doing that for you right now. So love the church by praying both for Christ members here at Heritage Presbyterian, but also pray for the churches in this presbytery, in the Hills and Plains Presbytery. If you don't know what the other churches are, you can Google Hills and Plains Presbytery and find a list of the churches. Pray for those churches by name. By name. You can ask your pastors, your ruling and teaching elders, maybe what do they need prayer for? How can I be praying for these churches? But also, there's a global church. There's a global church. Be praying that God's global church would be fully matured and fully assured. My wife and I are about to go to South Africa to be working with the Reformed and Presbyterian Church of South Africa as they plant churches and engage in campus ministry. Pray for the Presbyterian Church in South Africa that they would be mature and assured of Christ's love for them. Pray for us that we would be fully matured and assured as we work with your brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. Because rest assured, you have them praying for you. And my wife and I pray for this congregation regularly, as does your ruling and teaching elders. So this connects us to our first point of saying hello. Make sure, or just, when, when missionaries come, and they come from far away, and tell you what's going on, talk to the missionaries. Listen to what the Lord is doing overseas. Rejoice with them and pray with and for them. They need it. They need your prayers. So we have been asking how Paul's greetings show love for Christ's church, and we've seen that they reflect a connected love and a prayerful love. And these two elements form a powerful combination in the life of the church. 
Now let's continue to look at this passage and see how Paul's greetings reflect a love for Christ's church and how those two elements work together. Look at verse 11 with me. In describing Aristarchus, John, Mark, and Justice, Paul describes them as the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. We know from Paul's letters and from history that Jews at the time, because of you know, the repeated cycle of invasions in the Holy Land, that Jews lived all over the Roman Empire. And we also know that they generally didn't believe in the gospel when presented. There were a few exceptions, but mostly they didn't believe. And Paul describes that in Romans 9, 2 through 3 as an anguish in his heart that his brothers and sisters of his nation didn't believe. But these three Jewish Christians, they testify that the Holy Spirit is at work. These three Jewish Christians laboring in gospel ministry, laboring in prayer with Paul, that is a comfort to him. Even as he is in house arrest, he is comforted by these Jewish believers. They speak up to him. They speak up of God's love for him. And Paul is carrying this burden for the lost and the burden of being arrested, and he needs to share this burden. Look at verse 18 with me. Paul writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now this is the ending point of the letter, and Paul himself is, has been dictating to a scribe, a common practice in the ancient world. He picks up this, the pen, and he writes the very end. So you can see a handwriting change in the original documents if they were still in existence. And they would be, oh yeah, that's, that's Paul's handwriting. This bears his signature. And in this signature, he asks, remember my chains. Now, Paul describes his prison as suffering in Colossians 1.24. And even if this is a type of house arrest, we all know what house arrest looks like now because of 2020. We all remember our month at home and how terrible it was. But Paul was in, at his home and couldn't leave for years. He was suffering. And so he's asked for prayer in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, but in his final sign-off, he's again asking for prayers by saying, remember my chains. Paul speaks up. The Colossians also have a task for them closer at home. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know much about Archippus beyond Philemon 2, where he's mentioned as a fellow soldier, but he's probably a minister to the Colossians as well. And Paul commands them to speak up to him and see that he fulfills his ministry that the Lord gave him. Now, when Paul says, say to Archippus, that command is plural. It's y'all say. Y'all say to Archippus. Not one, but everyone say to Archippus. And he wants the entire Colossian congregation to encourage Archippus to fulfill his ministry. We don't know why he needed encouragement. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was frightened of persecution. We don't know. But Paul says, 
Y'all tell archivists, see that you fulfill the ministry that the Lord gave you. Paul commands the Colossians to speak up here. So how do Paul's greetings reflect love for Christ's church? Not only do his greetings reflect a connected and a prayerful love, but it reflects an outspoken love for Christ's members. Christ, uh, Paul's greetings reflect an outspoken love for Christ's members. Now, kids, parents, I know that you've all experienced a baby learning to walk for the first time. And when the baby is learning to walk, the entire family is engaged. You know, the little kids are saying, come on, you can do it. Stand up. And then everybody cheers when they stand up. The parents are saying, you can do it. When the baby falls, everybody says, oh, it's okay, little baby. You can do it. And repeat until the child can run around freely. In Colossians 4, Paul's greetings show an outspoken church encouraging one another. Paul is encouraged by his Jewish co-workers. He speaks up about his own need for prayer, and he commands the Colossian church to be outspoken regarding Archippus and his ministry. So church, you have been purchased by Christ's blood. You are completely loved by him, and together you are all putting off the works of the flesh, and putting on Christ and his righteousness. Encourage one another. Encourage one another as the Holy Spirit grows you. Encourage one another when you see the Spirit at work in one another. Say, George, I see that the Spirit has done this. I've seen how you've changed. And also, love the church by encouraging your ruling and teaching elders. They need your encouragement. Ministry is hard, and so much happens behind the scenes that you don't see, especially your ruling elders. I don't know if you know this, but your ruling elders, they have to sacrifice a considerable amount of their time to love this church, to represent this church at Presbytery, at General Assembly, to pray for you. They've got full-time jobs, and they love this church. Encourage them. Encourage them to fulfill their ministry. They need to know that you love them, that Christ loves them, and that this work that they're doing is not how they justify themselves before God, but that God has justified them already. Encourage your ruling and teaching elders. Likewise, encourage those who minister far away from here, who minister to God's global church. These individuals need your encouragements. Like Paul, they may be in locations that they don't know, where they're experiencing culture shock. My wife and I, I'm from this church. We're going a long ways away. It's a 14 and a half hour flight to South Africa. Please encourage us. We will need your encouragement. Pray for us. One of the best pieces of encouragement that my wife ever, that my wife and I ever received was a South African who reached out to us and said, we know that you need encouragement, and so we're going to pray for you. And it was a voice recording of this man and his wife praying for our spiritual maturity as we prepare to come to them. 
it was amazing how the Lord used that to then get us through that stage that we were struggling with. God's people need your encouragement. So writers of rom-coms, they draw upon the same themes that we all experience in our life. And we experience the frustration of life, the difficulty of living together, and it's what makes rom-coms funny. In Colossians 4, 10-18, Paul's greetings overflow with the fruits of his love for the church. An imperfect church, a church where people are separated, having difficulties, fighting the works of the flesh, but one where they are connected, where they are praying for one another, and where they are encouraging one another because of what Christ did. Because you cannot love like Paul loves on your own. You love out of the overflow of God's love for you. Because Christ gives you a heart that loves, connects, and prays for his people. Will you pray with me? O God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your holy word. Work it deep in our hearts this morning so that the Holy Spirit might transform us more and more into the image of your Son. Thank you for placing us within a body of believers through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Would you make us more connected, more prayerful, and more loving with one another? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.